it's that common theme of being yourself and that's different. I mean, we're all in a way aliens, but some people show it and some people don't. <laughs> I love that. That's a great way of putting it. The story we tell ourselves about who we are, that story can change. The ink should never dry on the novel you're writing about yourself. You should reinterpret your history. There are no rules, there's only consequences. And, there's, and they're quite different. <laughs> I love that um, quote. Like I would <laughs> <Yes>. say. <laughs> Let's do this. May I have your attention, please? Welcome to Accounting High, formerly known as Sons of CPAs. This is the same show you've grown to love listening to, just a little more structured to fit the curriculum. It's freshman year at a brand new school. Here, we have no rules in place as we're on a mission to set our own traditions. So hang tight and learn with us as we grow. At Accounting High, you can expect to gain knowledge in a completely different way than what you may be used to with some fun and oftentimes colorful conversations involving some of the best teachers in the accounting industry. Whether you loved high school or you hated it, here's your chance to be a part of an unforgettable experience redone. While you're here, don't forget to follow us on Spotify or subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you may be listening to us right now so you don't miss out on any new episodes. And feel free to leave us a five-star review letting us know how the school year is treating you. In addition, share this episode on social media tagging us at Accounting High for a chance to get a coffee on us. So with all that said, here is this morning's announcements read by me, Alex Miles, your friendly office administrator here at Accounting High. May I have your attention, please? Greetings, Accounting High. Join us for today's episode as Scott and Nicole learn all about how Expensify CEO David Barrett marches to the beat of his own drum in the tech space. David is no stranger to the tech industry as he's been programming since the age of six and has had many adventures leading up to his moment in 2008 when he started the expense management solution Expensify. He took the company public in November of 2021 in a way that you typically wouldn't see and continues doing things the way that he envisions them. Find out how David not only hires but retains some of the top talent in the industry and motivates them to continue to live rich, have fun, and save the world. Expensify truly is unique in every possible way, and this episode encapsulates what David and his team is and always has been about. Stick around until the end to hear Accounting High's very own rapping custodian, Scott Scarano, share an Eminem rap parody he curated just for Expensify. So sit back, relax, and open your mind because class is in session. I repeat, may I have your attention, please? This is another public service announcement brought to you in part by Accounting High. The views and events expressed here are of the next generation of accounting and tech professionals leading this space. The events and suggestions are not to be taken lightly. Children should not partake in the listening of this podcast. Anything else? Yeah. So without further ado, introducing the star of our show, Scott Scarano and Nix McKenzie. We're going to have a problem here. But the real star of this show is our very special guest, David Barrett from Expensify. Well, I'm flattered to be here. Thanks so much. You're flattered to be here. They, I'm, thank you for coming on. Thank you so much. This is, this is, I'm so excited. I'm like 
nervous. I don't even know what I'm going to say right now. So you to <laughs> hold me back. Scott's been texting me like nonstop for like the last two weeks. Yeah. So I wrote nervous. a rap for you guys. I wasn't even going to talk <laughs> I, about that. It's fucking amazing. You like I, it? Oh, hell yeah. I mean, everyone was absolutely blown away. I think actually everyone was like, well, what's this going to be? And we listened to it. We're like, this, this is pretty good. This is actually a lot better than I think most people were expecting. And so I don't know. I love it. It's great. I'm trying to figure out how to get it into my Spotify playlist. And so I'm, the, you know, send me a, a track or something. I can make that happen. Just, uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you want to give me your cell number or anything. I could text it to you too, but. Perfect. Again, this isn't about the rap. I'm so happy that you guys like it. I tried to set the bar low. I mean, you know, it's, you're a big inspiration for me, like personally. And big inspiration for me. (sighs) Who are your inspirations? Who inspires you? Well, well, that's interesting. Hmm. Um, I think it's much easier to be inspired by fictional characters than real characters. Um, Because real characters are complicated. And you don't actually know them. I think the greatest romance ever written has got to be, you know, Pride and Prejudice. And so, if I could be any model myself after anyone, I would be some combination of Mister Darcy and like Rochester from like Jane Eyre, like some combination there. But the thing is, I know everything there is to know about Mister Darcy because I've read every single word of that book. We actually know that character, and so I can be inspired by that character. I don't know. You take some real world person, like people, are like oh, I'm so inspired by Elon Musk. It's like really. That guy's complicated, and you don't know him. You don't know anything about this guy, really. And so I think people are inspired by like a cherry-picked selection of the things that they like, and then they ignore everything else. And so that's not, that's not real inspiration, though. This is basically like, I don't know what you're learning by cherry-picking the evidence in that particular way. And so I don't know. I think that I find this, uh, fictional characters more inspirational because you can actually know them, and I don't really know. I don't know if I'm, I don't know anyone here well enough to be super inspired by them. Oh, I like that. When I think of fictional characters, you get the full picture with them. Like there's nothing, there's yeah. a lot of complexities with some good character. Good characters have a lot of complexities. Like think Tony Soprano or think anybody in Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I love that. Yeah. I mean, I think that for me, uh, Cersei is a great inspiration. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe in some cases, <laughs> she's probably the least inspirational of all of them, but we could go there too. Um, but yeah, so, so then tell us something that you really fucked up. Like along the way, a big mistake that you made because, you know, I said you're an inspiration to me, but now I want you to knock that down a little bit. Tell me why you shouldn't be an inspiration to me. <laughs> well, first, you should be inspired by me. Uh, let's go. Big fuck up. Let's see. I think the, I mean, the challenge is I just, I just don't really think in that way. Like in this, like imagine you're exploring a mountain range to find some sort of pass and you like, you go to a dead end. You're like, damn it, I fucked up. You're like, you're like, no. I explored this pass. This one's not going to work. I just need to find the new one. And so I think that the concept of like giant mistakes, that's just not how I think about things. Mm-hmm. It doesn't resonate with them. It's like, I feel confident at any point in time. I'm always doing the best that I can with the information I have, recognizing that I am fallible and the information's incomplete. And so if something doesn't work out, I don't like lambast myself or something like this. I say, it's like, okay, well, cool. I mean, I just learned a very expensive lesson. And so I'd say like some of those are very expensive lessons. I mean, I think there's some along the way. That's probably the biggest is ever trusting venture capitalists. VCs are the fucking worst. And I can go on and on about this forever. And some of it's just, it's just so obvious in retrospect. I just feel like humiliated that I didn't see it coming. Just how deceptive they are and how they're just not aligned with your business success really at all. 
and so the biggest mistakes I made in the history of the company were ever believing what the VCs said and like buying into their bullshit and then making horrible, conceivably like near catastrophic mistakes according to that. And so once we stopped, once we kind of like learned that lesson, we're like, oh, that's right. They actually don't give a shit about us. Oh, of course. Then I could kind of like recalibrate, if you will. But there are some probably big blunders along the way until I kind of made that decision. Yeah, no, that's a good point because obviously everything they do is driven by money. And I don't think that's the case with you and your company. But, I don't, but even there, I would say that I don't buy into this kind of zero-sum mindset where like, you know, if you can ask me what the root of all evil is, which you didn't, but, you know, I'll seed that question. I would say it's got to be altruism. It's got to be the concept of sacrifice itself being a good thing. Because the only thing that's guaranteed to happen with sacrifice is that you are harmed. It doesn't guarantee anyone's helped. It definitely guarantees that you're harmed, though. And I think that when we elevate and celebrate this concept of sacrifice, all we're really doing is celebrating self-harm. And it might or might not help someone else. And then when you look back, I would say over most sacrifice, it actually doesn't help anyone else. Like, you can see this in your own life where it's like, you know, you're like with a friend or something like this. And it's like, where do you want to go to dinner? And you could say, like, I want to go to this particular place. But instead, you're like, I don't know. What do you want? And they're like, I don't know. What do you want? And then someone holds out some shitty option. I'm like, well, that's, that's what you want? Oh, okay, cool. We'll do it your way. And they're like, oh, okay, whatever. And then everyone has a terrible dinner or something like this. That's just the common case of sacrifice. And sacrifice is not a sustainable path for long-term change. If you want to save the world, you can't do it through sacrifice because there's just, you can't kill yourself enough times in order to do anything successful and good. Real change happens with a business model. And it has to be a profitable business model because it has to be scalable and sustainable. And everyone involved has to feel good about the experience. And so I think that the only way you can save the world is actually by building uh, an organization which is fundamentally positive and fun and successful. Like we, our internal motto is live rich, have fun, save the world. And this is not in sequence. It's not like someday after enough success, you can start trying to save the world. It's trying to say like, no, Every day, you should be thinking about all three of these. You should, every day should be awesome. Like your average boring day should be awesome. And then you should always be just getting like top, thinking back to that, like, oh man, that, that vacation would take, it was like a once in a lifetime opportunity. That was amazing. And, and I'm so excited for the next thing. You should always be between kind of like bucket list items. And you should also be thinking, it's like everything I'm doing is contributing to a better world and I feel confident and I can trace all my actions back to that. I think that's a life well lived. And sacrifice plays no part of that. So I don't know where you mark the question. No, you nailed it. That's, like, that's my that's, answer. <laughs> no, I like that. Like, have fun. We just released an episode on purpose. And I felt like that was, hmm. I mean, it is not about me, but it is, that, that was like my purpose. That was like finding my purpose in life was I've never taken anything that seriously. And everybody yeah. around me, surrounding me, especially in the accounting profession, takes themselves too seriously, takes life hmm. too seriously, takes work too seriously. And it, we should all be just having fun. Like how could you not have fun at work if you're going to spend half of your days there? Oh, absolutely. Like this whole concept like of work-life balance, I think is a kind of a, I would say almost like a toxic concept mm. in the sense that if, if it's viewed as like, you know, work and life are, you know, like oil and water, that they're just like designed to be a part. I think that it, it sets you up for this tension. It's like lifelong battle where essentially you say like half of my life is squandered in the service of the other half of my life. And I think that's just kind of a shitty attitude. I think that we should view life 
the balance should be like oil and vinegar. You should shake it up really nice and make a salad dressing out of it. It could be delicious together, but only if it's well mixed. And so I think that rather than doing balance as sort of opposing forces on a scale, it should be balanced like, you know, like a Jenga set. It's like, if everything's well balanced, it means it's all standing very tall and every piece of it is bearing weight every day. And so I don't know, I think this, like the, the secret to happiness and success is to your point's purpose is basically, do you believe that your actions are advancing you to, to some sort of long-term personal purpose? And it doesn't matter what you're doing. Like if you're stacking bricks, it can be like boring as fuck. Or it can be amazing if you're building a doghouse or something like that. Like just the difference is not the action itself, it's the outcome of that action. And if you don't know what your outcome is, then yeah, your life sucks. But if you can find that outcome, no matter what you're doing, can be amazing. Or writing a rap for Expensify, spending your entire <laughs> example, weekend I mean, doing just... that. Yeah. <laughs> so you said in an interview, Expensify is just the Venn overlap of personal ambitions. Yeah. You know, you described the hiring process and your team. And I loved the, the three qualities that you look for. It's ambition, talent, and humility. Yeah. How do you identify humility in an early phase process when you're hiring? Mm. Great question. So I'd say our, so our interview process is primarily focused on talent because that's the most measurable and that's the easiest thing. And so we define talent as the ability to learn without being taught and teach others what you know. And so it's, it has nothing to do with experience. Experience is cheap. It just meant like you didn't get fired. Experience just happens. It's the exhaustive life, if you will. But I'd say talent is something that you can have. It's not to say it's intrinsic, because I actually do think it's a set of skills which can be large and improved, but it doesn't require a lot of time. It doesn't require experience to get. So, anyway, so talent, I would say, is, is the easiest to measure for because you can put someone into a testing scenario um, and then we can evaluate their ability to grapple with that problem, that same exact problem relative to hundreds of other people who have gone through the exact same thing. It's kind of like in Westworld, where they try to create a baseline, basically the same thing. Throw everyone in that same room, put in the same exact exercise and see how they perform against the baseline. And so talent's the easiest for that. Second, I would say is ambition. Ambition's interesting for a long time. So I, uh, I would talk to every single candidate. My whole role was to sort of suss out ambition. And I'd only ask basically like one question in a few, few different ways. And that would be, so I'd like, you know, be at the very end of the interview, they're like basically done, team loves them, things like this. And then I'd ask them, it's like, hey, you know, what questions do you have for me? How can I, you know, or how can I answer? They talk about 45 minutes and eventually they'll ask, it's like, do you, do you have any questions for me? I say, oh yeah, just the one. What do you want to do with the rest of your life and how can Expensify help? And almost all failing answers, I would reject a tremendous number of candidates and all failing answers sound the same. Most people would say like, I want to learn. I want to work hard. I want to solve hard problems. You know, maybe someday I want to be like CTO, something like that. Something like really ambiguous. It doesn't actually like say any sort of unique personal sort of insight. Then ask again. It's like, okay, well, you know, I'm like, you just said a series of things you want to do, not anything that you want to accomplish. Let's try that again. Like imagine you're in your deathbed, looking back over your life, friends and family around you. What do you want to say is your greatest achievement, your greatest accomplishment in life? And all the failing answers, it sounds something like, well, I want to know that I did my best. My family is my greatest achievement, things like this. It's like literally 8 billion, billion people would agree with that. Like that is not ambitious if you're a, it's a statement of the human condition. Not to say it's not good. I have a family. My kid's great. But like, I think that that's not a unique sort of desire, if you will. And the third chance and the last chance would be, it's like, okay, imagine you have a million or a billion dollars in your pocket. What would you do with it? 
the mo most people say like, well, you know, I'd invest it. I'm like, he's fucking billionaire. You need more money. Or they would say like, uh, well, I donate a lot of it. I'm like, you have so little inspiration. You can't even spend your own money. One guy, my favorite answer was like, well, I'd buy my brother a laptop. I'm like, I fucking hope so. Um, and, <laughs> and it's basically like all these like really just banal sort of answers. And it's shocking. So now just recently we've handed off this question because I've done it hundreds of times. And now we've got a team of people who are doing it and everyone's blown away how consistent the bad answers are. It's just shocking. The passing answers are just always wild. They're just crazy. And a lot of them are just like super personal. It's something about like, they have this personal issue uh, that they've grappled with and there's not a good solution to that issue. And so they've actually thought about it. They've tried to solve it themselves. They get blocked with something. They get frustrated and they're at, they want to take a job so they can learn more about it, get some sort of skills, get resources to go back and solve that real personal thing. That's amazing because that person is driven by an internal fire. That person doesn't work for me. They work for themselves. They're using me to get to some long-term personal ambition. And I'm like, use me. It's great. Like that's how this all works well is if everyone is driven by what they want. So that's, you know, talent, ambition, humility. The third one is the hardest. We have no idea how to test for it. It's just because anyone, anyone can keep their shit together for an interview. Mm -hmm. Like anyone can keep their shit together for like a month, a year, maybe even a couple of years. But after a while, you advance in the company, you've got some, some street cred, you've got like your posse or whatever it is then like the real you eventually comes out. And so I don't think we really know the real you for a long time after hiring. And I would say some of the biggest challenges actually in managing, because we have super high employee retention. Like our average employee has been here like, I think it's like six years. And I think our management team's been over 10. So it's like, we, people stick around basically forever. And then after a couple of years, there's actually like the real them comes out. And that can be a really dangerous situation. When you're hiring all these people that are super ambitious, how do you keep everyone on the same page and moving in the same direction? Because typically ambitious people, mm. they have their own ideas. In some ways, they're their own visionaries. So how do you make sure that you're articulating your vision for Expensify and then making sure everyone's moving in the same direction? Well, I would say to a larger degree, we just don't. <laughs> and uh, our app has a big surface area. There's a lot going on. We like solve a lot of different use cases for a huge range of the market, a million different ways. We get like a nonprofit. We take our company overseas for a month every year with families. And so there's a bunch of planning that goes with that. There's like a ton of shit going on in this company. We just opened an art gallery in our basement. We've got a, our San Francisco office. We converted into a public lounge. Basically show up and get like free cocktails, Wi-Fi, coffee, and with an amazing view. You should go at 88 Kearney, just like show up and just work out of our office. So it's like, there's so much going on here. It can, it's very chaotic. So I think a lot of companies are modeled after the military. And it's basically mm -hmm. the idea of like, we want the Roman guard, like the Praetorians up front sort of thing. Like, you know, everyone's in this perfect formation moving towards a well-defined goal that no one in the army picked, basically. It's kind of like the vision for most companies. And it's very mechanical. It's like everyone has one job. They're hired to do that one job. They were hired because they've done that one job their entire lives. And if they start doing anything but that one job, they'll be fired. And that's like how most companies are structured. We have a very, very different approach. Expensify is like a guard. Like a, 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 like a magical, mysterious garden where everyone every day is planting seeds that we've never seen before. So it's like, oh, I just found this magic bag of seeds. I'm going to plant this. I have no idea how long it's going to take to grow. It might not grow. It might actually be poisonous. I have no fucking clue. Let's just find <laughs> out. And so it's like a, it's a mysterious place where like every day 
something new comes up where it's like, oh, that's cool. We started talking about that years ago. You were working on it the whole time? Well, that's neat. And so I'd say to a very large degree, we, we try to prioritize the autonomy of individuals because like, I don't know what they want to do. I don't know what they can do. And I also don't have access to all the information of like what even needs to be done. And so I'd say we say, our goal is to put everyone in touch with reality and say like, do whatever you want. Do whatever you want with your time. Because I don't know what the best use of your time. The only condition, however, is that one, before you do anything, like anything big at least, just tell everyone what you're going to do. Just like, hey, everyone, I'm going to do this particular thing. What do you think? Like, you're not asking them for their permission. You're not waiting for them to say yes. You're just telling, giving everyone kind of like an advisory. Like, this is about to happen. Do you think it's cool or not? And then people chime in. And then naturally, the, the things that people are excited by, they kind of group up. If you're like, I can do this thing. And everyone's just like, it's like crickets. Or everyone's just like, why? That's dumb. Or like, well, I'm going to solve this particular problem. They're like, that's not a real problem. People don't want to do stuff that's stupid. So they're like, oh, okay, maybe I won't do that thing. I thought it was cool, but now the talk, I didn't ask your permission. I didn't ask you to convince me not to do it, but I do want to do good stuff and I value your feedback. And that's where the humility comes from is to actually solicit and value the advice of others. And so we create an environment where people have that humility and I have the transparency and the, the safety to fail, to throw out an idea. And people are like, nah, that's not very good. And they just, then they're like, but there's, you know, haven't committed yourself to it. It's not like you, it's like, well, I need to see it through or it's going to be humiliation or something like that. It's like, eh, maybe not. Like that plant sucks. Just like prune it, whatever. So yeah. I'd say that's one thing is you have to tell everyone what you're going to do ahead of time and, and accept feedback. Uh, and the second is your compensation is determined by your peers. Mm. Um, and so it's like, sure, you can do whatever you want, but if it sucks, you're not going to make much money. And so it's like, you have to do what people around you think. But if you don't and you like consistently ignore their feedback, that's going to come back and bite you because you're going to rank really low and your compensation is going to suck. And eventually there's like, and there's more to it than that. Like, you know, there's all these edge cases we could go into and how we handle for those edge cases. But those are kind of the large principles. I think that plays into the ambition thing too, Nicole. If people are running in different directions and competing with each other in, in ways, that's going to play out in that comp review, you know? Oh, yeah. So because tell us more about your compensation model. Well, so it works like this. Twice a year, everyone in the company signs into this tool that we built. And it just brings up basically two people, left and right. And it has like their name atop. Uh, it's like, hey, as a reminder, here's a GitHub handle. Here's a Slack handle. Here's the email address. And here's the actual name, often which are all completely different, which is confusing. And then it's basically it's like, here is a bunch of stacks side by side. Like, here's how many GitHub issues this person's put. Here's their stack overflow rank and how it's changed the past six months. Here is um, how many Slack conversations they've had in work-related channels. Um, here is, uh, how's, here's how many Slack channels they participate in. In our concierge tool, it's like, here's how many conversations you had with customers. Here's how many calls you took with customers. Here's uh, uh, how many PRs you closed, how many commits you made. And just like every single metric you could possibly imagine, side by side, for everyone. Because we don't have any internal teams, like, or speaking more generally, but like, there's no defined role. Like, you're not hired to do one particular thing. You can get literally do anything. And so we just say, cool, here's what they did so far as the metrics show. And here's kind of like a Twitter link bio on themselves. Basically, like, here's what they did in their own words in the past six months. Um, you see it side by side. And then the question at the top is, who do you think should be paid more, left or right? And then you do that. It's like, oh, left, you know, Alice more than Bob, Bob more than Kathy. And they do this about 7,000 times. And then wow. you have ranked basically every single person against every other person. And we can do some things to dedupe it and like streamline it a little bit like this. And then once everyone has done this in the company, uh, then basically this pretty rich data set of like 
what is the value of everyone from the perspective of everyone? And then we can normalize it, we can filter it, we can do a bunch of stuff and like statistical analysis, bring it down to a formula, we plot that in a curve and we say, boom, this is your new compensation. You didn't ask for a raise, but you got one because everyone thinks you're awesome. Oh, you did ask for a raise? Well, you're not going to get one because no one thinks you're awesome. Like, it's like, who would you even ask it to? Everyone? Like, that doesn't work. And so it's just a completely different kind of mentality for the only way you game the system is that you just super kick ass in front of everyone. Mm -hmm. And it's like, way to go. That's just called being a great employee. <laughs> so do you ever worry about unconfirmed biases in something like that? All the time. All the time. I think that's the thing about systemic bias is it's systemic. It's like, it's there. Like, you can't deny it. It's, it's, it's absolutely there. And so the question is, how do you control for bias as much as possible? And I think there's a number of, I mean, obviously there's a million types of bias, if you will. And then of course we can get to like, from like a pay gap perspective, there's a controlled pay gap versus uncontrolled pay gap. It's like basically for the same exact role, are two people being the same uh, versus for the same exact point in their career, are they being paid the same? It's kind of two different ways to view it. And I think the uncontrolled one is the more interesting. But regardless, I would say, yes, bias is a, a very tricky thing. One thing you can do is, one bias is like, does that person just hate that other person? For some weird reason, they just have a thing against each other. Well, that actually shows up in the data pretty obviously because it's like, whoa, they rank them way out of the norm. And so there's something weird going on between them. You can kind of filter off the, the extremes, if you will, and, and, and take care of kind of the individual bias. And so I'd say when it comes to like, like systemic bias, it's like if you have concerns with like women or like this particular race or something like this, that's so much harder to evaluate. And so I'd say we do things like in the tool, it doesn't show photos, for example. That was my, um, yeah. It doesn't show. Yeah, it doesn't show a lot of these obvious indicators. It's focused on the data. And so the data, it tries to make you as just as possible. Is it perfect? Well, perfection is unachievable. Mm -hmm. I think that's the, the, the wrong measure. I would say, is it better than what you would do through traditional? And say, fuck yeah. Like before, like typically, your entire career is in the hands of one person who makes a decision without any metrics behind it. And like, so that's the bar. It's not a high bar to jump. I think we jump that bar. I don't think we're anywhere near perfection, but I think we're much closer than most places. That's fascinating. And that was, that was my question is like, if you have pictures of people, you know, inherently everybody's going to vote for the more attractive person. Like it doesn't matter what the stats are. That's why I would always win. Yeah, of course. <laughs> like I, but that's, I mean, that's, that's an unconfirmed bias that we all live every day. And I think that that's, it's a little hard to judge on that. So that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. But for a lot of this stuff, I think that when, when I started the company, it was basically, like I, want, I said, I want to start a company that I never want to leave, which sounds obvious, but almost no one does that. And because from day one, they start making compromises on the company they work at, the company they build and do things this they don't like. Like it's so often to be like, ugh, this sucks, but yeah, that's what we got to do. And I think that our attitude is like, do we? Do we actually have to do that? Like, why? Is it, is it some law that says we have to do it that way? The fact that others have done it that way is just irrelevant. It's not even part of our thought process. It's basically like, what, what is possible to do? What is legal to do? Cool, let's just do that then. And that's driven us in this very unusual path. And so yeah. it's a bizarre place to be, and not just one way, in like a million ways. And that's great. It makes it bizarrely awesome. But it only comes by this, it's not a desire to be iconoclastic in the sense that it's not like I'm, we're trying to do things different just for the sake of doing it different. We're saying like, it just doesn't matter what others have done. Kind of like, we don't actually know those companies. Kind of like your, this thing on, on uh, Romo. Like, I, we don't know anyone else. I don't know actually the problems that like Elon Musk has or something like this. You can't follow in his footsteps because like, I didn't grow up a billionaire 
with a supermodel mom and a bunch of jewel, uh, like gem mines. It's like, that's not my background. And so I, there's, there's, there's what to learn from that. And so I think like modeling your company after someone else's company, especially a company that you hated and didn't like, if you like that company, go much, just go fucking work there. <laughs> you don't want to apply there. Like don't model yourself after it. So thinking differently and being different at the core, everybody's different. So you're really just being yourself and just staying true to you in a way. Yeah, I, I agree with that. It's kind of like everyone, you're like you're an entrepreneur because you think you're smarter than the next person. But like, why do you ask the next person for advice then? Like, it's like, you gotta just pick a lane. Yeah, pick a lane and stick with it. So Expensify just announced that you guys are now offering payroll for free for users of the mm -hmm. app. Walk me through the decision to create that product. And what was that like? And remember our audience is accountants too, so. Yeah, I've, I've heard that. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I mean, but this is not some like surprising thing. We've been talking about payroll for a very, very long time. It's only surprising if you just didn't believe us all along. And I think most people did. So that's why it's surprising. It's just like, oh, you act, you actually did it. Well, I just didn't see that coming. But we've talked about it for ages. And I would say what makes Expensify very unusual as a product is that it's not an expense reporting product. It was never built to be an expense reporting product. It's this very general purpose payments platform. And we just happened to start with expense management because it has a number of great sort of features to it. One, it's the most complicated payment you can make on the planet. Like there is no more complicated type of payment than an expense report. It's denormalized. It's, you know, uh, there's employees there, there's documentation, there's audit trails, there's approvals, there's uh, integration, there's CRM, your HR system it integrates with your uh, payroll system and integrates the multiple bank accounts, car corporate cards. There is no more complicated enterprise flow on the planet. Expense management is the most complicated product you could build, which sounds crazy. You'd be like, what? What are you talking about? Like, that's, that's why. I'm like, well, there is no more complicated collaboration product than an expense management. And so if you can do that, everything else is easier. Like every other payment that you do is a simplification of expense management. It's like an invoice is an expense report that you send your client with an easier approval process. A paycheck is an expense report submitted twice a month that's automatically approved for a fixed amount with some tax stuff on top of it. Mm -hmm. um, and then like a bill is the opposite side of an invoice. A P2P payment, like a Venmo style payment, that's just an invoice stripped down, simplified for a consumer. And I'm like, yes, there's a lot of accounting implications under the scenes. And so our design is not an expense reporting design. It's a, it's a request money design. It's basically like request money from this person. If you request it from your company, under the hood, we track it as an expense report and export it to GL accordingly. If you say, no, request money from this client, well, that's an invoice. That just has different accounting implications. If you request money from your roommate, well, that's like, something else different. But like the process of requesting money is exactly the same in all of those. Like it's the whole idea that these are different has nothing to do with money transmission, technology. Uh, there's some accounting differences behind under the hood, if you will. But by and large, they are far more similar than they are different. And that's always been true. I think that this whole idea that these are different products is it's only driven by the enterprise sales model. Because if you're an enterprise salesperson, you need a really tight pitch. You need to explain exactly what you do. You just have to say one use case. And then your entire business result is a consequence of your sales model. And so if you have a team out there pitching a single use case, well, then your entire business is going to be a single use case because that's just how it works. We're not pitching a single use case. It's like, we're just like, we'll do everything for you. And so our business model is different and our product supports our business model. And so our product and business model are doing everything of the pattern of a list of expenses that you give to someone 
and the pay in return. And that describes basically all of payments. I think a lot of accountants would say that you're probably oversimplifying payroll. And I think a lot of accountants are probably wondering, Expensify, you guys have always known for being very lean, right? And not having a lot of support. And so as accountants in our mind, we're thinking what? if you're going to offer payroll, what is that support going to look like? You triggered with the, with the support, <laughs> so yeah. Figure out that one for a second. So like, wh- what do you mean by that? So we, so we have concierge, 24-7, two-minute response time support. We have, if you're in an accounting firm, you're an approved accountant, you're going to have a dedicated account manager. If for every single client you onboard, we'll pair you with a guide to sit down on the phone, video call your clients. We have account managers like, what are you talking about? I mean, we're, I would say, I'd be curious who you're talking to, or maybe there's been some miscommunication. Yeah. Like no. we have so many types of support. Like we have a phone call button, a million places in the product. You want to talk to someone, press the button. Someone will be on the phone with you in two minutes. Okay. And maybe that's newer. I haven't used, actually used the product in probably so, three or four years. So well, I, I, I can phrase, I can phrase <laughs> yeah. this a little differently. Though. A lot yeah. happened in those three or four yeah. years. So okay. I'll, I'll phrase it a little differently. So in theory, payroll is just another expense report because the rules are defined. You know the parameters. The issue with payroll, and Gusto has had this issue too, is all the state and local agencies and everybody that you have to keep up with, and they are archaic. It's very difficult. That's the challenge that well, I think we uh, see. Let me tell you a secret about the payroll industry. No one does that. Actually, there's a company called like Symmetry that does it for everyone. Gusto, everyone uses the same company. There's like a couple of them mm-hmm. um, that basically do all of that. And so no, of course, that sounds like a nightmare. I wouldn't want to do that. No one does that. None of the new payroll companies do that. Everyone uses the same company and we use them too. So that's the, that was what I was looking for is who's, who you're outsourcing it to and who's handling that because right. that's the biggest hill to climb. And that's what everybody has to deal with. So, oh yeah. And that's a complete nightmare to get me wrong. No, no I'm not, I'm not claiming the payroll is easy. I mean, we've been working on it for years now. And so, yeah, it's hard. It takes a, it, it takes at least years to do. And that's even when you already know everything about payments. And I think there's money transmission licensing. It's taken a super long time. There's actually doing uh, like pay, the paying the tax authorities. Like that's a huge thing. So yes, there's a ton of work that goes into a payroll system, no doubt. But I would say that that's why we've been working on it and talking about it for years now. So with that in mind, what are the limits of a super app? Are you going to have <laughs> yeah, like? It's, it's are you going to have a GL? Like, are you going to like? What are the limits? Yeah. Good question. Mm-hmm. So I'd say. Bank? First off, being a bank, that question comes up a lot. Being a bank kind of sucks. It actually doesn't get you really much of anything. We can lend, we can issue cards, we can do deposits, we can do all that. Not a bank. I'm just really unclear actually what being a bank does for you. But if you just ship out, like, actually, charter? The, uh, do we offer banking functionality? Yeah, it's like we basically do all that. So yeah, so I'd say from the customer perspective, the customer, like we're effectively a bank and that'll become more and more true over time for a lot, of, not just us, for a lot of people. I would say when it comes to anything between unstructured WhatsApp-style chat and a highly structured concur-style expense management, which no one describes it as a range like that, but that's the way we see it. So yeah, we're going to be at every point in that range. We're going to fill with that line. What is the, the extent of super app? There really is no extent of a super app, like, or especially it's time. Time is like the, uh, the barrier there. Mm-hmm. Like I think actually Elon Musk, because we just talked about him earlier, made this interesting announcement. He's buying Twitter. Um, which we all know. And it's like, yeah, we're going to make Twitter into the everything app, which I kind of liked. I'm like, ooh, that's, you know what? That's better than super app because it captures it a bit more. It's not super, it's everything. And it's like WeChat for America or WeChat for outside of China, if you will. And so I'd say like, 
So what can a, a super app do? Well, what does WeChat do? Basically everything. And so, uh, yeah, we have unlimited ambition, but we're gated by time. Okay. I, I like super app as as the name, but that's also when I when I wrote it out, I saw super rap too. Like I saw super app, but Ooh. I also saw super rap, and that's why I did the rap. That's what coined the. That's pretty good. That was the yeah. phrase there. So, can I perform the rap in Italy? <laughs> well, the official decision hasn't been made, but I'm not going to lie. Like that puts you pretty high up on the list. You know if. If Scott goes Ooh. to Italy, I have to babysit him because you know his rap name is oh, Little I Toddler see, for a reason. Yeah, my rap name uh, is yeah, Little yeah, Toddler. I yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so I'm here. I've been put here to change the accounting profession, move the industry forward. It's a very slow-moving beast, and you you're put here to change the world, save the world, right? How can you help change the accounting profession? You guys have done a lot for the accounting profession, I think, but the accounting profession doesn't ever give love back. Well, what, tell me a little I, bit there. Yeah. I feel like I, I, we feel very loved by the accounting Do you? profession. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I think absolutely. I mean, they're a huge partner of ours and have always been. So I, I never I, feel I love from the accounting profession. <laughs> and I am the accounting <laughs> profession, but keep going. It's so cynical. Everybody's uh, so cynical. And so like, depends on but how But even that, I would say like you started, it's like we want to change the accounting profession. I would say like change is not intrinsically good. I would say like the way internally... I would say one of the greatest skills we have in Expensify is that we don't do anything without def defining the problem we're trying to solve. Like even internally, it's like, oh, I want to do this particular thing. And be like, you know, what's, what's the problem? What's the problem solution statement for that? And this is like a real internal thing that's important to us. Um, and then so I'm like, well, I think I'm going to solve this problem. And then we would talk about the problem far more than we would talk about the solution. Because most things, most changes are designed to accomplish something, but no one actually figures out what. And so it's like they just build it and then like they don't know where they get out of it. So I would say if we're going to change the accounting profession, I don't know that in, in broad strokes it needs to change. I mean, like it does a good job. At what, it's there for a reason. The people involved and like the, or the certifications, like they're, it's good. Like even I was shocked actually becoming a public company. Like everyone talks about, oh, it's the worst. When you think of a public company, it's like there's just socks and SEC and all this shit's just like so insane and pointless. I disagree. I would say going into it, our interaction with the SEC, super reasonable. Every request, it's like, that makes sense. I mean, it's a high bar. Don't get me wrong. You're holding, they're holding companies to a, a level of excellence, but it's not an unreasonable level. It's basically, it's like, do all this stuff, which is actually kind of common sense, but do it all and we're going to measure you on it. And you're like, fuck, okay, that's kind of hard. But like the actual underlying logic is pretty sound for pretty much all of this stuff. And everyone involves, when you hire an auditor, you're like, oh, I hate my auditors. It's like, you pay them. You pay them to do exactly what they're doing. And it's not that you hate them. It's that you hate that you are not able to live up to your, the expectations that you are paying them to hold you to. And like, yeah, it is hard being SOX compliant. It is hard going through a PCA of the audit or whatever that is. But it's not hard because it's unreasonable. It's hard because it's a high standard, but the good standards. And so I don't know. I just kind of a little bit pushed back on the idea that the accounting industry just needs some kind of radical change. Everything can improve and evolve. But I think by and large, it's like they just do a great job. Yeah, I think it's mindsets though, and and maybe I'm I'm a little too hyper focused and I'm I'm too involved anyway. But let's go back out the video that you guys did when you went public. The, you had to read certain statements. I forgot what the video is called. Oh yeah, but I that yeah, that shit was so dope. It was yeah. the same people that were in the music video too. That was yeah, yeah. so dope. Uh, so the story behind yeah. that is kind of funny. 
So when you go public, everything's high, super regulated. And again, I think for good reasons, because they don't want you to overly promote your stock and all your stuff. And so when you announce your S1, it's basically this one statement that you can't change a word of. It's like, this is the statement. You can put out a press release with this exact text and you cannot change a single word of it. And then so we said, well, for accessibility reasons, could we do an audio release for those who can't read? And they're like, oh. I mean, yeah, legally, so long as you stick exactly to the text, that should be no problem. And like, are there any constraints in like, you know, how it appears? And they're like, no, I mean, it's for an accessibility, it's an ADA thing. So sure, you can do whatever you want. And then so we made it fucking nuts. But yes. <laughs> uh, it sticks exactly to the text because we can't change it. In fact, there was one word at the very end. He just says, yeah. yeah. And that was actually a big problem because they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. You added a word. We agreed that you wouldn't change a single word. And we're like, I don't know. And the other funny thing was in that video, there's a guy with the weird jello on like the rocket ship quarter machine sort of thing. That was the other thing. The SEC is like, um, <laughs> you have it on a rocket ship. Uh, this is obviously suggestive. And then the, my favorite guy in the world, uh, Ted, uh, Ted uh, he's, uh, he is our uh, SEC attorney. He's the best. He like invented the direct listing. It's like amazing. And I think he's talking to the SEC and it's like, yes, but it's a rocket going nowhere. And that was actually the clincher. They're like, all right, in that case, it's okay. So. Oh, that's dope. It's like you guys can, you play by the rules in a fun, in your own way. You've been known to take very big swings and it always works out. And I think, I don't know, how, how do you describe that? Like for somebody from the outside, some people may say, oh, that's not fair. They're doing this and they're not supposed to do this. Like, how do you respond to stuff like that? Hmm. That's interesting. I'd be like, what the fuck? Like, where, where did you get these concepts? And like, I don't even know. Like, you, you're, th that person would be operating under some sort of non-existent constraints. And I'd be like, those are not real things. Constraints, and just, yeah. Non-existent. Yeah. I, I think the, the one way to think about it is there are no rules, there's only consequences. And, there's, and they're quite different. <laughs> I love that um, quote. Like, I would <laughs> <Yes>. say, <laughs> because, like, there's no rule against pulling your bicycle up to the semi that has its right turn to sign out. Like you can do that, but you're gonna get fucking run over. The rule is not the important thing. It's like, what happens if you do this particular action? And so I would say, I think people invent all these rules in their minds. Like, and they're like, I mean, again, I mean, doing like PCIB, SEC, these rules have consequences. You fuck around with this, bad things happen. And so that's important to understand. But there's also a lot of stuff that people think, oh, it's a rule, you can't do this particular thing that has no consequences. And then it's just like, okay, well, what happens if this actually happens? And so I think the vast majority of rules are fake rules uh, that were invented for various reasons that have nothing to do with your success. And so I think you just always challenge them and say like, no, this company, we can do whatever we want. This is our company. If it's legal, my attorneys tell me it's going to be fine. And I think it's going to drive the business and help us live rich, have fun, save the world. Like, we're going to do it. I think the challenge is having the courage to do this thing that people think is stupid. Like and a lot of what we do, I mean, for especially back in the early days, people just thought it was the dumbest shit. They're just like, what are you talking about? Why, why would you build a company this way? It makes no sense. Um, people say that to and, me all the time. Uh, yeah. And so, I, but I think it's, it's like, well, it doesn't have to make sense to you. Like, I'm not, I'm not asking you. Like, this is my company. Like, fuck off, whatever. Like, you don't, you don't want to work here? Cool. Most people don't. That's fine. It's like, you do want to work here? Well, maybe you can't because he has weird attitudes. Um, and so it's just fine. So that plays into a question Nicole had. She was going to ask, do you have any 
self-doubt. Do you ever run into mm. situations where you kind of doubt yourself or you question your decisions or your motives or? I mean, yeah, this is the whole like imposter's dilemma kind of thing. What, what dilemma? Imposter's dilemma, where everyone feels that they're just inadequate. I would say, do I have self-doubt? I don't know. I, I think that I think that got burned out of me throughout <laughs> my career. Like, so like when I, I, I've been a programmer since I was six. And so like computer graphics and video games for like middle school and high school and things like this. Which worked in the virtual reality lab, and I was type of like an engineer my entire life, uh, and a good one. But I also, when I was growing up, I literally didn't know a single person who programmed. I didn't have any friends. It's like it just this is the BBS days sort of thing. It's so I, I had no one to compare myself to, and I just and probably and I had a lot of doubt as a as a consequence. I'm like, I don't am I any good? I have no idea. I remember actually, I, I took my, my my very first programming class. I went to this uh, local college in Saginaw, Michigan. And I showed up and I was like, you know, and it was this first project. And oddly enough, it was actually a weird accounting project. It was like, make an accounting system and like, and make it look nuts, you know, use colors and things like that. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is, all right, here we go. And so I make, and this is like, I make this gooey windowing system and all this sort of stuff. And like, you know, for this accounting system. And then we're going to demo it in front of the entire company. And I'm fucking nervous because I'm like, I've never, I'm, these are all college kids. I'm in high school. Like, I'm going to get massacred here. And then the first person goes up, it's like, well, you know, for my system, I chose the color blue. And then it's just basically this text-based thing. And I'm like, oh, what? That? Oh, God. Like, everyone's going to hate me because this is just nothing of the same. So I went to the teacher afterwards, and, uh, and I'm like, yeah, can I show you my, my project in private? She's like, I get it. You're the young kid here. I get it. It's pretty daunting. Then I show her my project. She's like, whoa, what, what are you doing in this class? I'm like, I, I don't know. I had to start somewhere. She's like, yeah, not here. And so I think that I was always struck by, I had a tremendous amount of confidence coming in as an engineer, but I had extraordinary doubt about everything else. And I think that as, as you grow up as an engineer, like, oh, that's cute that you can do programming, but you don't know business, you know, marketing, anything about finance, this, this, just stay in, your, stay in your box there and then let the adults do the real stuff. Uh, it was kind of the attitude that was pounded to me at, at every point in my career for so long. And I just kept seeing the same stupid ass mistakes being made in the business and all the other stuff. It's just like, it just made no sense. It's like, why are you doing that? Make no sense whatsoever. And people are getting paid top dollar to make the dumbest mistakes again and again. And then eventually like, I mean, there's a series of epiphanies across my entire life that all come back to like, no one has a clue what they're doing. Like no one knows. Everyone's just making shit up as they go. And then like trying to pretend like somehow they're better than you. And I think that you know, so I started this company when it's like uh, 14 years ago, I'm 46 now. So it's probably like 40. No, sorry, my math is great. You can tell I'm good <laughs> at the counting. So like, you know, 32 or something like this when I started the company. Um, and so like 32 years of these epiphanies that it's like, no one has any idea what they're doing. The vast majority of businesses fail just for the dumbest repeatable mistakes. There's just super obvious and people even know they're making them while they're doing them. And so if I just make a company that just does some pretty basic shit, it just doesn't do stuff that I think isn't going to work. That's like, maybe, I don't know, maybe it can be fine. And you just do that for like a few years. And it's like, oh, actually, this seems to be working pretty good. And you were all wrong about the past 6,000 things you told me you're experts on. So I, this next one, maybe I'm going to be skeptical on that too. Hmm. Professional or healthy skepticism, like throughout. And I think that's that also creates change to have some kind of skepticism for the status quo and skepticism for the way it's being done if you know that there are no rules there's just consequences then you kind of 
deliver your own path and create your own path as you go. And also learning over the time that kind of like the number one sign that you shouldn't trust someone is when they say, trust me. I think the number one sign that someone's an idiot is when they're like, I am an expert in this. We're like, oh, got it. You mean you don't know anything about this. I understand. Because anyone who has to boast about their expertise means that you're not going to see my expertise unless I tell you. Whereas like actually people who know shit, they're just like, man, you're smart. And so I'd say as going through this whole thing, just being pounded by, you know, all these self-styled experts and just uh, realizing that, you know, you can only be an expert in the past. Like no one is an expert in the future and things are changing so fast to even say you're an expert is to say you're obsolete. That's it. If you're trying to build the future, you don't want experts. Those people are useless. It's like, you want people who don't know shit because then they're the ones who have to go and figure it out. So you mentioned the magical, mysterious garden. What do you think of the Beatles? Magical mystery tour, the octopus's garden. You don't think of the Beatles. All right, you know. All right, all right. Um, that's, that was the, my, that, not my thing. That was the question, yeah. Um, <laughs> creativity, you do talk about that a lot, like in hiring and, and all that. That was It was just my range to get in, back into creativity. So do you consider yourself a creative in all of this too? Mm. That's, uh, I think the word creative in like as a noun is kind of like expert. It means not creative. Okay. It's kind of, kind of thing. It's like, if you have to, if you have to brand yourself as creative, you're doing something wrong. Um, <laughs> I, I would say overwhelmingly, some of the least creative people I've met with are like the creatives and it's just like so frustrating. So yes, I would say, I think we're, I, I think we're very creative but not in a tightly constrained, like, oh, creativity is only what exists in Figma or something like that. It's like, no, actually, that's like the smallest piece of the puzzle. So I think if like, creativity, I would say, is the, it's not, you know, what makes your brain great is not how many neurons it has, it's how many connections between those neurons. Um, and so likewise, I think what makes a company creative is not how many people it has, but the connectivity of those people. Mm. And we have, we've worked very hard to have a flat organization uh, where everyone talks to everyone, everyone's empowered to do anything. Everyone is constantly being informed about everything else. And so it just creates an environment that unlocks the potential for creativity. Because creativity doesn't happen. It's like you did this thing a million times and the million first time, you're going to come up with a better idea. It's like, that's just not how it works. Like creativity is when someone who's never done it before came up with a new way to do it. Or it's like, uh, oh, I did this thing in this completely different context. And actually it feels similar to this like the only person who's going to find that new opportunity is the wrong person. It's going to be like the wrong person for the job is always the most creative to solve that job. And so I think we're constantly trying to like put the wrong person into the role to figure out what's new. So you said this in the interview, I think creativity is not the number of neurons you have, but the connectivity between those neurons. And then I think you just said that again in so many ways, but I like that statement, like the mm -hmm. you're rewiring things and the connectivity is so important, especially in, you, in the interview we were referring to is when you're talking about everybody working asynchronously and still being connected. And that's a very difficult thing to achieve. Well, maybe building on that, going back to this idea of most companies are modeled after like this military sort of hierarchy. And I think it's because, you know, as a company grows, it's like basically at, at best on average, one person brings one person's worth of productivity. Like, you know, that's kind of an obvious statement. Um, and so it's a kind of a, a linear productivity. Like the best you can do is if you hire uh, 10 people, you get 10 man years of productivity, whatever it is, sort of thing. But everyone can distract everyone else. And so every time you hire a new person, you actually distract everyone in your company a little bit more. 
and so you have a linear increase in productivity and you have an exponential increase in overhead. Um, and so at some point, actually, you cross a place where every new hire actually reduces your total productivity because the distraction they bring to your company as a whole exceeds the productivity they bring. And I think that this challenge, actually, is uh, how it what drives different companies. And I think the one challenge is to minimize the overhead is you minimize the number of people that each person talks to. And I think this is the hierarchical approach. The hierarchy is designed to minimize communication in an organization by putting everyone in a small team such that they actually every person distracts the fewest number of other people. And then communication is regulated in this very hierarchical fashion in order to minimize communication overall. Uh, and I think that works incredibly well. It's super efficient. That's why most companies are hierarchies for pursuing a single top-down uh, objective. Because it's, especially if it's a well-known objective. It's like, I have an enterprise sales model. Same shit as the last company, the last 1,000 companies. Everyone's done this thing a million times. We're just going to sell this different kind of widget. It's like, okay, you don't, they're not banking the company's strategy on anything sort of creative. And so that's the right model for that. We're quite different. We're optimized to have the most talented people possible. And so it's the highest linear slope of basically our productivity. Every person we add brings so much value. And then we want to minimize the exponents of the overhead by having humility and basically saying, it's like, everyone is going to collaborate very well with everyone else. And so we can push that out quite a lot, but we're still a very small company. We have like 140 people. Last year, we had 140 people. Year before that, 140 people. And so I'd say, like, we're doing more and more. Revenue is going up, everything's going up, but our headcount is not going up. And that's because we worked so hard to extract more and more creativity out of this flat organization without just like loading up bodies into it that sort of drag down the entire project. A, a giant army has way more neurons than us, but we have more connected neurons than them. Connected neurons. I love that. So talk a little bit about it. And I don't know how much time you've got, but you know, I, I could go on for days about this. So <laughs> this, is, this is my favorite episode so far. So like you don't always do ExpensaCon. This is not like an annual occurrence. So, and it's been a while since you had the last one. Why? Why? Why now? Good question. Um, I would say we view ExpensiveCon as a good way to sort of correct market confusion. And most of the time, the market is not confused. <laughs> and so, when I think back to the first one, for example, so it started the company, we were growing up and to the right all through just direct acquisition of customers. And so I was like, especially in the Silicon Valley, VC community, just like, you know, everyone used us and learned about us and things like this. It, was, it wasn't for years. I don't know, we we're probably like six years into the company or something like that. And then we're like, you know what? We should go to an accounting conference. I bet accountants would like us or something. I don't know. We just never talked to them, but like maybe. Um, and we showed up show to the accounting conference and we're like, hi, we're expensive. Expensive reports that don't suck. And they're like, oh, that's cool. You're kind of like tally. We're like, who? Like, yeah, this other company that, and, and we look at them, we're like, they're a fucking direct clone of us. Like, what? They're just stealing all of our shit and claiming it's their own. And we're like, oh, this, this cannot stand. And so then like the first year we went to the accounting conferences and we had this tiny presence. But the advantage that we have is like, we're a real business. Like we have profit. And so we actually can spend, like outspend our competition on basically everything. And so year one, and the company conference is tiny presence. Year two, we come back, look the most epic booth possible. We buy every single sponsorship possible, engage with every single thought leader. We have every single everything. This is what I love. Um, and then we're like, <laughs> and then we're like, oh, and also uh, all of our top partners 
We're going to bring them out to Maui for an all-expense-paid trip to our own personal conference so we can tell you about how different than we are from everyone else. And then so basically that was like a way that we used just to crush tally. And then like they just basically like got, you know, acquired by some weird people. Embers or something. Or something. Like yeah. Yeah. Embers. So well, we refer to them as, uh, yes, Frank and Spence, actually. <laughs> um, and because they, it's basically just a graveyard for all of the companies that have like come up against us and died. And so uh, that was kind of like maybe some of the contests going into the first one. So for Expensive Con 2, I'm trying to think of like the market conditions that were driving that. I don't even remember, honestly. My memory's not the best. But it basically, was there was something in the market that was just confusing. Like we were hearing one message and we're like, that doesn't sound right. And so we're like, how do they, how do they get the message out that like, there's a confusion here we need to resolve. And so that's what we did at Pensacon 2 as well. But this time we're like, how do you double down on Maui? We're like, oh, that's why we take everyone to Bora Bora. We're going to make it even more, more sick. And it's going to be like more great, like you know, bigger and better in every possible way sort of thing. And then we came out of that. And I think, you know, same thing. It's like, okay, we kind of like settled and solved the concern that we had going into it. And so I'd say probably for this one, same thing. It's basically the past couple of years, well, first past few years has just been madness for a million different things. One is we have like all these, you know, like neocard companies coming up. They're like, oh, you know, and it's funny. Every single generation is the Expensify killer. It's just like, and they're always just like the Expensify killer. Like you look at like, I don't know, Ramp's homepage. It says Expensify all over that shit. It's basically like, God, you wouldn't even exist. Your branding would have no message if we didn't exist. And I, and I get it. We were like all anti-concur way back in the day. So I'm like, I'm flattered. I've been there. But like, it's kind of a desperate move. I was desperate once. I get it. Um, but I would say that the surprising thing in the market is just like, wait, you all think there's something there? They don't have a fucking mobile app. What are you talking about? And so everything about these, I remember I started personally just by myself, a corporate card back in like 2007, before Marketo, before any of these things. It's, it's not that hard. The card technology has not changed since the 80s. It's, it's not that hard to do. The economics aren't been changed. Really nothing's changed about the entire industry for decades. The only difference is Marketo came out and made an API. So it's really easy to do cards. And everyone's like, mm. oh my God, I have a corporate card. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I did, this is actually not that hard in the first place. And also that by itself is a stupid business model. Like I, and I know because I started with it. Initially, we were a card company. We were Expensify, the corporate card for the masses. And then we came out and everyone's just like, why? I mean, I got a card. I got an Amex. I've got all this sort of stuff. And like, but my expense reports suck. I'm like, oh, okay. And so that's why we shifted to Expensify, expense reports that don't suck. Um, it's just a reaction, not because it was hard, easier to do. It certainly wasn't. As we were talking about, expense management is insanely more complicated than corporate cards. But that's why we did it. And then so it's, we're just like baffled. It's like, why does everyone think corporate cards are hot? They've never been hot. There's, there's nothing differentiated about this product against a million other, like Brex. Like, they don't compete with us. They keep with American Express. Yeah. The only way, like Brex is a huge partner of us. A huge fraction of Brex customers use Expensify. <laughs> like it's just one of our banks. And so I'd say we're just very confused by this whole thing. It's just like, I, I don't know. I think that there's all these like weird banking startups that are basically like competing after the dregs of the market. It's, it's not like, wait, American Express has never heard of any of these companies before. No, they know about them and they don't go after them because they're not credit worthy. And there's just not a lot of margin there. And so I'd say like, yeah. it's just not a good business model. Now, I think what I didn't anticipate because I always make the same mistake is that VCs are fucking madness. And that VCs basically, interest rates were zero. Um, and so, and 
as such, he's like, oh, what is a cool play I can make in order to make it, take out massive lines of credit and then somehow build some kind of like story around that. And so these, like basically all these startups, again, there's a zillion of them. They're all exactly the same because there's nothing hard to do. The hardest part they do is use Marketa and Marketa is not that hard either. And so it's like, and so they basically start a whole bunch of like these neocar businesses, raise a shit ton of money. That's the fourth age, right? I'm going into yeah, the, see, exactly. the ages. Yeah. Like, <laughs> the amount of money going into like advertising and all this sort of stuff for is basically like a tiny corporate card that's like not differentiated in any way was like me- astonishing. And we're just like, hey guys, that shit's like, oh, like we have one of those too. It's, it's great, but like it's not nearly as important as anything else sort of thing. So I think that actually we started this idea of expensive con, this next expensive con, probably to like clarify. It's just like, whoa, 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 let's like, let's ground ourselves in the actual problems that accountants have. Has any accountant been like saying, I, w- I desperately wish I could get the corporate card? Not that many. Uh-huh. They're like, there's a lot of problems out they're there. They're all just and saying, I desperately wish to go to Italy. That's what they're saying. <laughs> exactly. That's the real problem. Yeah. And so I think that uh, that might have been some of the context that kind of like when we initially started it. Then after that, like market collapsed and all this sort of stuff. And we see this again and again. Like Tally was dead way before we ever did ExpensiveCon. Eventually, like inevitably, the, the message we want to get out is out way before we actually did the event. But the event is basically like finalizing it and sort of like putting the nail in that coffin, if you will. And so I think that the neocars are already like, they're already collapsing mm-hmm. like because their economics just don't, there's actually no business underneath that. And you can only sustain that for so long, especially in the shitty economy. So I don't know. I think that um, that's some of the reasons that like, we've used to do expensive cons in the past is to kind of just correct a market misperception. And I think that's probably in play of it here too. But so much more has come out of it as well. Like every time we do this, we had sort of a goal, like we're going to fucking kill Tally. Then like Tally dies. We're, oh shit, we still got this conference to do. And then we do the conference. We're like, oh my God, that was amazing for all these reasons we didn't even anticipate. So I would say, I don't know exactly what's going to come out of this conference, but if history serves, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be dope. So you, you said expensify killers. Everybody was coming around that. So are you David or Goliath? Um, uh, good question. I don't feel I, I don't feel like Goliath because like we are so small compared to the things we want to do. And so I would say this, we're, I think this is kind of a question of like, when are you a startup? Like when are you no longer a startup? It's kind of like an interpretation of this question. And I would say, I think you stop being a startup when you start thinking your best days are behind you. And it's like, because most startups are like, you know, oh, things were awesome, but then we grew up and now, yeah, we got our thing. We just kind of couldn't coast off into the horizon, so to speak. Like, let's go off to the sunset. Like, we're not looking at the sunset. We're like, basically, I, I view it. And the way I, I literally view the company and run it is it's a pre-revenue startup. Basically, it's like, what, oh, you think we're making money now? Psh, we haven't even started, guys. What are you talking about? <laughs> like, everything we've built so far was basically a prototype. Is basically like, you know, in engineering, there's this concept of like, if you literally don't know what you're doing, just build it and then throw it away and then build it for real. Because like, that's the best way to learn something is just to try it. Everything we've done today is just plan to throw one away. It's basically, it's like, okay, I want to learn about extensive management. We did that. Okay. What about enterprise? Okay. With that. It's like, well, what about corporate cards? Yep. Invoicing, bill processing, payroll, corporate travel, chat, all this stuff. Like, okay, cool, 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 cool. Now I kind of, we kind of get it. I think that Expensify is the best product in the market, but that doesn't mean it's a great product. Uh, it just means it's the best. 
a great product is something completely different than all of this. And I think we say, mm. oh, okay, cool. We've learned how to make the best product or we've built the best product. And in the process, we've learned how to make a great product. And let's go out and great, make that. And so I'd, so I'd say we're, we spend all of our attention on building the next generation of Expensify, creatively called new Expensify. That's the only thing we're working on. Like Expensify hasn't changed in years, really. The Expensify that, you know, customers experience because it's pretty good. Like, I'm not going to say it's perfect, but it's like, you, you, it can't be 10 times better and still be like what it is right now. It could be like 20% better, 50% better, more reliable, faster, whatever it is. But it's, it's fundamentally kind of like it's trapped in the local maximum, that design. And so we were going after a global maximum, which is just a completely different design. And that's what we've all been working on for years. And so I think that, no, I feel very much like the David in this because <laughs> uh, for one, it's my name. And two, because we haven't even launched yet in my mind. It's just that our prototype is so valuable. It just happens to support $100 million. Yeah. That was a softball. That was a softball. Define great though, because that's, <laughs> that's interesting the way you said that. Like we are the best, but we're not great. I'm still curious, like, if this is a fifth age of Expensify, what's the 10th age look like? Oh, Ooh. man, you can't even imagine. It's like you, but like actually, you're I would alluding say, to it, but I need more meat. I need to know what you're thinking. No, I'd say, <laughs> but actually, I would say, but you actually can't even imagine. Or, or not, that's not the right way of putting it. I can't communicate it to you. And, when I, and what I mean by this is not because I don't want to. It just says, like, it's beyond me. I, I, there's this concept, I, I, in my mind, I think it was called the imagination game. What's in my mind if I were to describe it to you, like I have this very rich, nuanced, very complicated, powerful vision that are condensed down to like a hundred words. And then you would hear those words. And then in your mind, you would hear something like you would imagine something completely different. That's not the thing that's in my mind. And you'd be like, well, actually that thing sucks. Like that thing you just described that you think is amazing. What I'm imagining sucks. And I'm like, yeah, okay, well, what you're imagining sucks, but you're not imagining the same thing I'm imagining. And it would take so long to even communicate this vision that like it wouldn't even work. There's so much context and history and gambles and a bunch of other things that just couldn't really be communicated. And so I think that a challenge as being an entrepreneur is minding the imagination gap, recognizing the difference between your reach and your grasp. I'm reaching for this very, very long-term future and I'm certain that we're going to get there. I don't know when, but the how is actually pretty clear. We just got to build, it's got to fucking build it. It just takes time though. And in many cases, until, it's, until we're just much closer to it, I just can't communicate it very effectively. And that's a real challenge. And it's like a real bump uh, as an entrepreneur because like, we're always like, we sound fucking crazy. Yeah. And it's like, that's never going to work. And then you actually do it. And they're like, that was obvious. That doesn't seem that hard. And it's like, well, yeah, well, I, it was obvious. You just couldn't imagine it. Or really, I couldn't communicate it to you effectively. Yeah. Um, articulate. So I, I would love to communicate that future to you. Yeah, sometimes you just have you sick. have to touch and feel something in order to understand it. And I I, I feel that yeah. sometimes too. When I have like ideas and I try to explain it to someone, and it, it, until I actually like spell it out and make it and create it, and then it's like okay, people get it. Well, but even on that, the question would be like, so, but why? Why even tell your friends? Like, it, yeah. unless you're asking for something specific, sharing an idea too early is just demoralizing. Yes, like, it is. Like, there's no <laughs> yes, way they can is. help, but they can definitely <laughs> hurt. And so I'd say that's why we just, I've learned, and I, that's probably going back to one of the biggest mistakes. Yeah, actually, now I know my answer. My biggest mistakes are always failing to mind the imagination gap, trying to pitch an idea that I cannot effectively communicate, and then that creates opposition to it and, and, worse, and, and makes it more complicated to happen. 
So I've actually now I, is you think I sound nuts? What I actually have in my mind is this will just seem like complete madness then. Yeah. Because this is only the part that I'm talking about, and there's 10 more steps after that. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you don't need to articulate your vision to anybody until it's there, like until you've seen it. Yeah, exactly. Until I need something from someone, there's no reason to communicate it. Yeah, and you also have people along with you for the ride, right, that have been with you since day one that have lived and breathed it. So it's much easier for them to jump on board with your vision versus you trying to explain that to a third party that hasn't been with you since day one. Yeah, that's true, but I would say it still exists internally. And again, the company doesn't just like do what I want. I, like I don't, like, even in the company, I don't have any actual internal authority. So like, okay, we are doing this particular thing. Like that's just not how our company works. And I could talk about our LT voting trust and how even legally, like even, yes, I have the most shares, but I just, the power structure does not work in that fashion. I am limited by what I can convince people to do, just like everyone else in the company. And yes, probably I've put the most thought, thought into it. I'm articulate and I can do a lot of things, but like, I'm very much limited to what I can visualize and communicate to someone else. And that's only a fraction of what I would like to do. So my first rep was called CP Aliens. And nice. you said Expensify <laughs> is completely alien in every way. And I think that's, that's the whole point, again, like of being different, thinking differently and being unique and finding the people that are like, they can 10x your company, one person, it's that common theme of being yourself and that's different. I mean, you know, I think we're all in a way aliens, but some people show it and some people don't. <laughs> I love that. That's a great way of putting it. Yeah. You got anything on that? I would say that um, maybe the part that I little pushback on that would say that that presumes people even know who they are yeah. or, that, or that they are one thing. I think that we're all constantly ex- grappling with, notions of identity and like what's possible, what's what's sensible and things like this. And so I'd say, I think that uh, we have never tried too hard to define in our minds who we are. And like, we're not, we're not a particular thing. And because people try to box us all the time. They're like, oh man, you're an expense reporting company. Stay in your lane sort of thing. It's like, (laughs) no, I'm not. I'm like, you think I am, but that's not what I think I am. And so that lane that you've put me in doesn't exist. That's not my lane. I'm in a different lane. I don't even know what lane I'm just, I'm just like, driving around here. Like maybe there's lines in the ground. I don't give a shit. Like my car doesn't obey, obey in those lines. <laughs> it's flying. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> and so I think that um, a lot of it comes down to just being, you said like, don't take yourself too seriously. And I think there's a lot of connotations of that. But one of those I would say is just don't lock in too hard to your sense of self-identity. Uh, you can be whoever you want. And I think even when it comes to thinking about your history, the story we tell ourselves about who we are that story can change. The ink should never dry on the novel you're writing about yourself. You should reinterpret your history. Think back and it's like, well, actually I did this thing and I loved it when I was a kid. I forgot about it. I used to love dinosaurs. I stopped thinking about it. But actually deep down inside, I still love dinosaurs. And so like, I don't know, maybe we're going to become a dinosaur company. Who knows? Whatever it is. And so I think that just being open to you're just more amazing than you probably realize you are and likely and that's a consequence of everyone telling you that you suck. You open up Instagram. You open up like any social media. It just says, like, you suck. And if you pay money, maybe you'll suck less. Um, and so it's like, just stop paying attention. Like, turn off all that noise. Do cool shit that excites you. Stop asking permission and give it a shot. And I think that as you do that, it's kind of like a muscle. It's like a habit, like anything else. And I think over time, you get more in touch with what you really like. Make better, steadier velocity along that path, if you will. 
And so I'd say we're alien in many respects. Again, not because we sort of seek to appear alien. It's just that we don't see the same constraints that others do. We're just not bound by the same lines on the road that others are. I imagine competing against us has got to suck because we're just so unpredictable. Yeah. This is basically like, well, there's this conference that just happened called Saster. When we showed up, basically, everyone's got their small like booth kind of thing. It's kind of a turnkey booth. Some people spend more on their turnkey booth, whatever it is. Uh, we showed up with like a double-decker castle. Two-story had a bar on top of it, like a cocktail bar <laughs> on top of our fucking booth. Um, and everyone's just like, what? Like, can, wait, can, can they even do this? It's not fair. Like, Are they allowed to do this? Um, yeah, exactly. And it's just like, well, they did it. They're like, well, how do I do it next time? They're like, you can't. It's, just, it's too expensive. You can't afford it. And it was such a pain in the ass. It's just like, we're just not, there's, they, only they can do it because they just tried hard enough. And you're not going to try that hard. And so I think that it just comes down to just like, fuck, why didn't we think of that? And it's like, yeah. because you didn't build your entire company to be a creative motherfucking force that just doesn't give a shit about any of this sort of stuff. And so I'd say, we've, this isn't an accident. It's, it's all, it's not that we can predict what this garden's going to grow, but it is designed to grow amazing things. And it, and it pumps them out pretty regularly. Do all of them taste good? Not always, but some of them are pretty awesome. And so I'd say over time, betting on a system that's optimized for creativity is the only way to build a long-term disruptive creative force. You can't copy your way to the front of the line. You have to do something different at some point in your career. And that point could be today. It should be every day. Social networks. I think that's this generation's cigarettes. I think that's like <laughs> going to be the death of us. So it's, it's funny you should say that. So I was thinking like, um, so there's this book that I love. I don't like, I don't like a lot of sort of pop psychology books because I think there's no repeatability to them. And there's, they're more just like allegoricals and they are actually like scientific. Like all the ones behind the me? One that I love. <laughs> I, I can't say right, that well, right, but cool, yeah, maybe. Cool. One that I love is called Everything Bad is Good for You. Ooh. And the premise of the book is it starts off with a series of quotes from like, you know, Aristotle to present day. And every quote is some variation upon uh, the world's going to hell and popular culture's to blame. And it talks about like way, way back today. So it's like, oh, this stuff called writing sucks because no one's going to remember anything more. They can just write it down. And then it's like, <laughs> what about our culture of lore and song and memory? So it's going to ruin culture. And then like it goes for like a thousand years. It's like, well, obviously writing is the best thing that's ever happened. But wait, um, but now literacy on a mass scale? Now everyone's going to hear all this stuff. Like how, does, how do we maintain control if everyone can read? Because obviously knowledge is power. And then it goes for like another thousand years. And it's like, no, actually, no, mass literacy is obviously an incredibly good thing. But the printing press, now anyone can write a book? Wait, wait, wait. Actually, only trusted people should write books. People are going to write all sorts of crazy shit out there, things that aren't even true. It's going to end of the humanity. And then it goes for like another thousand years or whatever. It's just like, oh, okay, actually, the rate, like books are the best thing ever, obviously, but radio, ugh, it doesn't require your imagination anymore. You can just hear the story, someone telling it to you, and then TV and then internet. And it's like, so obviously, every one of these things was like the greatest invention that humanity had ever come up to at that time. But at the time, it was actually widely uh, reviled, generally by the people in power, and mm -hmm. they pushed back against it. This book was written, I think, in early 2000s, kind of before social media. So I wasn't able to comment on this. But I, I, it seems like it's following the same patterns. And so I'd say, I don't know. I feel like, and so I have a seven and a half year old daughter. And you can't help as a parent, but like, you know, judge all the other parents around you. And so it's an interesting contrasting attitude towards screen time. Mm. And so like my attitude is it's like, 
I grew up on computers. I came out okay. Um, and the idea that somehow you're going to fight against all technology and win, like, good luck with that, parent. I think instead I've said, like, okay, Hazel, your iPad is always available to you. But it's just like, it's, it's just boring. Like, after you just watch enough of it, you watch enough YouTube clips or whatever it is, she's yeah. just bored of it. And so most people say, like, screen time is crack. Basically, it's like the ultimate negotiation tool to get people to do what you want. Uh, whereas for Hazel, I'm basically like, no, screen time is like, you know, I mean, veggies because she likes vegetables. But like, no, it's just boring. It's like basically, it's, if, if you can't get anyone to play with you and you're tired or whatever it is, then go to your iPad. But like, if anyone wants to play with her, she'll drop that thing in a heartbeat. And so I'd say, I think kids are so much smarter than we give them credit for. It's kind of a cliche thing to say. But I think that we grew up, we're, we're dumbasses when it comes to social media. We're like, it's online? Well, then it must be true. But like, that's just not how kids are growing up. They're like, oh, no, 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 yeah. half the shit's false. Um, yeah. And I get it. And I, and, I, and I know how to determine between truth and fiction. And I recognize the, the risks at play because my brain is really good at taking this kind of stuff up. And they're just growing up in a completely different environment than we did. And yeah, we are terrible in social media. Absolutely. Are our kids terrible in social media? I don't know. Now, I'm not going to say that, like, I do think there's a lot of super negative patterns, like anti-patterns in place of, like, especially capitalizing upon people's, like, self-doubt, body images, things like this. Absolutely, there's a huge uh, range of problems. And I'm, I'm not convinced they aren't social problems. And I also don't think that it feels like everyone has always thought that humanity has been an unbroken stream of successes up until their lifetime. <laughs> And then it's all basically downhill from here. Yeah. It feels like everyone has always thought that. And shocker, it feels like that right now to us too, but it has never been true from anyone else. It might be true today. It just seems unlikely. So I don't know. I, I feel actually think I'm pretty optimistic. About yeah, that's an optimistic look at it. And I, I never really thought of it in that context. So then tell us a little bit about how you're going to become a social network or what you can share of that vision. Sure. I think the problem I have with all the social networks out there, and I think their core weakness, comes down to their business model. A successful engagement with any of the social networks out there is that you, you come on, you just hang out, you accomplish nothing as you leave. And they're like, yeah, great engagement. Like that was like, the, the, they're, just, they're optimized to waste your time accomplishing nothing whatsoever. And so our business model is different. We're optimized to help you get shit done. And so I think that uh, the expense by platform, if you view it like a social network, so first, like, who is it for? Every social network is designed for something different. Like, you know, uh, Facebook is to, you know, spread rumors. Twitter is to look at cats. Uh, Instagram <laughs> is to like, do food porn. Like, snaps for real porn. And uh, TikTok is who even knows anymore. Um, and so I'd say, but none of them are designed to accomplish something in this real world. Yeah. And so I think that Expensify should be a social network for people who want to get shit done. Now, it's obvious Getting shit done in a business context is the most clear because we have a clear goal, resources, all this sort of stuff. But then if you say like, most people don't realize, yes, most of our paying customers are businesses, but we have an incredible range of nonprofits on us, um, like churches, nonprofits, things like this, because especially churches, they got complicated tax status. They have a lot of money. Most reimbursements go out to churchgoers, not to employees of the church. Um, and so we're designed like you can reimburse anyone if you just don't have a phone number. You don't even need to know their email address. It certainly doesn't need to be a company-issued email address. And so like, we're the only company that works like that. So we work in this quasi-business world. But then we also have a whole bunch of like millions of individuals that just use us for like tracking their own personal expenses or whatever it might be. And so we, the bulk of our users actually are not business users. They are just social users in these other contexts because 
there's a whole bunch of complicated real-world scenarios that the platforms out there are just not designed well for. Let's take something like, uh, I work with my neighborhood to make block party every year. And it's a fucking nightmare. Like, it's, it's like, I really know who they are because it's like, the person lives next to you. Like, what is their address? Off the top of your head. Do you know? Probably not. What's their phone number? Their last name? It's like, it's a lot of things you just don't really know. How do I look them up? I like, I don't, it's just, do I walk over there? Just like, it's actually quite complicated. And so I think the Expensify social network should be something that's just like, one day, there's going to be a feature uh, It's going to be like, uh, hey, I notice because I know your address because of a bunch of different reasons. You look like you're in sort of a residential neighborhood. Uh, do you want to host a block party this summer? And you'd be like, I don't know. I never really thought about it. I'm like, okay, yeah. And it's like, cool. I've looked up all your neighbors. Here's who they are because I can access them to public records. What dates work well for you? And it was like, okay, well, these kind of ones. It's like, great. Choose some pictures. It's your name, all this sort of stuff. Great. I'm going to mail out a postcard to all of them uh, and say like, hi, Nicole's hosting a block party. And you're invited. And so it's like basically click here, scan this QR code, join the chat room. We already know your account. It's already set up. You can talk to him. It's like, okay, I didn't actually know who Nicole was. Kind of. I've seen her, but like, don't really know that. Cool. Here's the dates. Make a decision. Here's the things we're trying to buy. We're even like the bouncy hats. It's going to cost us much. Here's the budget we're going to do for it. Chip in here to sort of chip in for all this kind of stuff. Like there is a ton of actual financial collaboration that goes into these social things that the tools are not well optimized for. Think of like every bachelor party you've ever been to, like weddings are like so complicated to pull off. Even just like managing split expenses with your roommates in college or anything. There's a million of these things that's like, they just, we kind of forget about them. They're like, oh, it's called like adulting or whatever it is. Why is yeah. adulting hard? It shouldn't have to be hard. Someone should make a platform to make it easy. And that's what we're doing. I love that. Yeah, I have to deal with that every time. Like every year for my birthday, I plan a trip to Tahoe. And it's like getting the air, oh, yeah. getting people to commit. Then everybody's putting money on their own cards and trying to reconcile. I used yeah. to have a spreadsheet I would do after every trip. Now there's Splitwise, which kind of helps, but and not everybody's on it. So it's always a huge pain in the ass. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And so I think that there's there's a ton of room for doing more of this stuff. If you get out of like the, we're an enterprise startup that sells expense management mindset. If it's like, yeah. no, 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 we're an everything app. They can do anything. And there's yeah. a lot of problems that need, need to be solved. And I think we can solve them. So I'm going to pitch you an idea here. And future name, okay, which you've already be. got it. So I think, therefore, I am. That's like a statement. That's a phrase, right? And then mm -hmm. I just think from there, you can go with if I. That's it. Just go if I. Oh, if I. Ooh, interesting. Mm. You, you, you're going you're gonna to be the super app for oh, all. Oh, I got it. Take out the expense. Hmm. <laughs> think about it think about it I, i'm just i'm just I'm, that was that was just a joke that was a throwaway so i know we could probably <laughs> no, but i think there's actually something powerful in there like, oh yeah like I, the I liked it i I, <laughs> I think there's something there for sure like you know at, at some point you got to mature enough that you can go baller and just take those three letters and just say this is it <laughs> like you know I mean, apple, ap apple is yeah. an apple. Like, it's a fruit. It's just an apple. Like, that's the simplest of names. I don't know if I. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Well, I'll just say the domain's available. Yeah. So, and if it's it? not, you guys can afford it for damn sure. <laughs> so, I know we could probably go on for days and days. Do we have anything else, Nicole? Do we, any other questions? Um, no, this is awesome. I think I wrote down, like... 10 quotes. <laughs> I, I wrote down three pages awesome of, yeah. of quotes. Yeah. And <laughs> still, I get to go back and listen to this again and again. This is going to be fucking great. This is awesome. Um, 
thank you for spending time with us and coming on. I don't know what we did to deserve this. I mean, so thank you. <laughs> well, again. you spent 20 hours well, running around. I did. Yeah, that's that's our policy. We actually have a couple policies. One of which is we will reimburse any tattoo of an expensive logo. And uh, second is if you write if you write a rap for us, we definitely go to your podcast. Oh, all right, all right. yeah. Well, you did you did agree to come on before you even knew I wrote a rap, so that was even that, that was even better. <laughs> that rap is my job resume. So I know you don't look at resumes, but that's that's my resume right there. I'm gonna I'm submit that, okay. and then. Any job openings? I can be like your traveling rapper. I don't know. I can do something. I can do something creative. <laughs> I think it's it's obvious. It's just there's such obvious synergies just, here. Yeah, bring me around to the conferences. I'll I'll be on your booth and I'll just perform <laughs> it. That's that's all you need. I go to conferences all well, the time. It has been great being here. Thank you so much. I yeah. uh, really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, David. I'm gonna play. I'm gonna play the rap to to wrap us wrap it up. Wrap it up. You expensify, baby. I'm in. Yeah. Talk to me. You want me to tell you something? Uh-huh. I know what you want to hear. <laughs> Our team's extremely happy. I think that you are too. I think I love you, baby. And loved by clients too. They'll snap a picture, girl. Come on, let's save the world. All the receipts you capture, world's oyster, you're the pearl. Even accountants happy, complete with payroll too. I call you Super App. You've come to the rescue. We'll be around forever. Come on, let's save the world. Oh boy, you drive me crazy. Sit at my long ass table. They call me CSO post IPO with the jingle now. It's simple now. One single app, it's universal. Wow, user experience, we're doubling down. Relationship end to end encrypt. Maybe it's irreverent. Super Bowl ad was the shit. Donald Trump can suck a dick. Straight from the cloud to outer space. Expense reports that suck replace. Household names were not the same. Tiny joke startup in two first place. Receipts to scan. We bypassed. You want tips? Concierge just asked. Did you miss expensify.cash? High margin and enterprise class. We set out to grow without sales reps. It's that word of mouth. Payroll now. We fully sourced out. Democracy under fire. We show out. Same low price. Why it's so nice, bitch. Expensify has changed my life. Blind VC cash trade for dry ice. Borgo go Ignacia fly through twice. But I do know one thing though. Competitors come, they go. First age through fourth and fifth age, spend management 2.0. Maybe it's cause we're viral. With our clients we grow. We'll surpass your forecast two chains at fucking Super Bowl. It's the age of the super app. 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 The age of the super app. Age of the super app. Age of the super app. The super app. The super app. Don't get me wrong, we have different goals. Blurring lines between work and home. Yeah, they suck. Which startup? Where where you are, you're in control. In the end, we're too disciplined. We'll be around forever, I'm convinced. Support all SMBs in existence. One app, all free pay subscription. You know you want that, so easy to buy. Nine for control or collect for five. You'll enjoy full expensify. All plans include a six-week free try. Guess it sounds too good to be true. Now we generate W-2s. Consolidate all your different tools. One super app made just for you. But I do know one thing though. Competitors come, they go. First age through fourth and fifth age, spend management 2.0. Maybe it's cause we're viral, with our clients we grow. We'll surpass your forecast, two chains at fucking Super Bowl. Our team's extremely happy, I think that you are too. I think I love you baby. And love by clients too. They'll snap a picture girl, come on let's save the world. All the receipts you capture, world's oyster you're the pearl. 
Even accountants happy, complete with payroll too. I call you Super App. You've come to the rescue. We'll be around forever. Come on, let's save the world. Oh boy, you drive me crazy. Sit at my long ass table. First aid, you say pencil and paper. Then the cloud lasted a decade. Part three, mobile app scan, real receipt. Fourth age was neocard companies. Oh yeah, venture clever way. Failed attempt to exploit interest rates. That brings us to the fifth stage pre-accounting. Here's my candid take. First off, what makes us special? Went public multinational. How did we stretch our cash flow? That's just our business model. Something we really value. We built it from the bottom. Good loaded, woaded. We don't rely on SDR models. Might say iconoclast. Live rich and fun we have. Think back when I would grab food stamps in my back pants. Commence up and expense dispense. Expressed how blessed I am. True to the core, convinced we'll save the world, and that's the plan. But I do know one thing though competitors come, they go. First age through fourth and fifth age, spend management 2.0. Maybe it's cause we're viral, with our clients we grow. We'll surpass your forecast to change that fucking Super Bowl. It's the age of the Super App, 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 the age of the Super App, age of the Super App, age of the Super App, the Super App, the Super App. It's the age of the Super App, age of the Super App, age of of the super app age of the super app the age of the super app i'm so glad you like it you don't know how happy i am to see you smile when i was playing that shit i because it could go both oh, ways God, right no. it could have went both ways you could have been like what the fuck is this guy doing like <laughs> it could just be like cease and desist or something yeah, like that. yeah man like what? what what is going on here like what is what is this yeah, great. Well, okay, send me the link. I'm going to get some Spotify playlists. It's going to be great. Oh, for sure, for sure, for sure. I, I haven't even uploaded it. It's, I'm going to upload it on the podcast. So I'll just send you the podcast link. Yeah. Cool. I don't know. Okay, I, hey, thanks so yeah. much. You have a great day. Thank you, David. Yeah, really appreciate you, it. Take Peace care. Out, homie. Bye. Bye.